Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. So I want to ask you a question. Do you love me? Jesus asked somebody that question some years ago. He said, do you love me? And, and he answered the same way. He answered the same way. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But there's more to this story, and, and we're going to go into this in just a few moments here. But before we do that, let's, let's just make our declaration this morning and invite the word of the Lord into our life. If you have a Bible, pick it up and say this with me. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew, the 10th chapter, we're going to be there just for one verse. I think it's important for us to hear this. Jesus said, but whoever denies me before men, but whoever denies me before men, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life that deep within inside of myself, I love the Lord, I honor the Lord, I pray to the Lord, I, I, I think the, the world of the Lord, and I, I tell him I'll follow him, but then there's been times in life that I'm in a position and there's people around, you know, like what's sitting around you right now. There's, there's men, there's women, there's, there's children, there's people I know, people I don't know, and, and then there comes an opportunity, and, and, and I may not verbally deny him, but, but I, I, might, uh, I might quietly deny deny him and, and choose not to stand up for what is right or choose not to speak up or, or not to do something or maybe I engage myself in something. I go, I shouldn't have talked about that. I shouldn't have done this. And it may not be a full-blown denial, but, but listen, it's getting really close. And when you're getting close to something, there's, there's no promise other than your effort and your responsibility that you might not become that. And now there's also a person in the Bible that, that betrayed Jesus, and there's a big difference between a betrayal and a denial, okay? Uh, it, 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 denial is not doing something with, but betrayal is doing something against. And I would hope that there's not anybody in here that is, that is betraying Jesus. I would hope not. I, I know that there's, there's hope for you uh, in the midst of that, but I want to talk about denial because normally denial would precede a betrayal. And if you can cut something off of the path or at the pass there, if you get a chance to cut it off, perhaps it won't mature. Perhaps it won't come to pass. And so that's part of the help of the church is that the church comes in to protect us. The church comes in to guide us. The church comes in. The, the philosophy, the mindset, the principles of the church teaches us, trains us, equips us uh, so that we don't succumb to the ploys of the enemy. Uh, we, we don't give in to the, to the trickery of Satan himself and to the schemes uh, that he brings into our life. But whoever denies me before men, Jesus said, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty heavy. Uh, that's very serious. That brings great concern to the table, and it should bring about a lot of contemplation of thinking, have I ever denied him, and, and do I deny him, and, and do I, do, am I close to that area of life? And, and if you are, there's hope for you. There's hope for all of us, and I would venture to say in all reality, every one of us somewhere at some time, somehow have denied him. 
have shown denial, if you would, to a certain degree. And I know that might be hard for you to swallow and to accept, but the reality is we give Peter the bum rap and we think that Peter's the only one denied him, but it said all the disciples left him. Every one of them. He was just vulnerable enough or verbal enough that we could get a story out of him and an example from him. So before you bail on Jesus, let's just take a closer look at what thought this might bring to us. Usually people bail on others because they feel they have been let down. And Peter kind of had that sense he was being let down to a certain degree. And his denial wasn't just in the moment there at the cross. He lived in somewhat of a denial mindset for about 40 more days. And so he had felt like he was being let down. And, and all the disciples were feeling that because, you know, well, you, first time you came in, we thought you were going to restore the kingdom. And now that you've come back as a resurrected one, now will you restore it? They, they've kind of felt let down. And so it's kind of easy to bail on people who let you down. Can I get a witness on that, right? Or perhaps they have, that you may have an incomplete understanding of what is at hand. Maybe you just don't comprehend what is taking place here and the severity of the moment. Whether you should stand with or not stand with, whether you're responsible or not be responsible. Just not having enough knowledge of something and you bail on something. Then later you find out, oh, that's not what they meant. Or, oh, that's not. It's just lack of knowledge. Or maybe intimacy. Could be that they thought more highly of themselves. They were thinking too highly of themselves and they were just self-centered. Could be that other things, other things became of a higher importance than the prior commitment or confession. You know, so often we make a, a commitment or a confession to Jesus Christ, but then the things of this world distract us. And sometimes we have a tendency to go back to things that he set us free from. So when I sing that song, Hell, uh, thought he had me, but, but uh, uh, lost another one that Jesus said, you're mine. There's been times in my life that I've, I've gone back to things and I, I've slumped back into things or I've steered off to things there and the devil's like, I got him now. I got him now. I'm distracting him. He's, he's falling from grace. He's erring from the truth. He's wandering from the way. And, and, and Jesus said, no, that one's mine. He pulls me back in. I'm so grateful for that. I think there should be a lot of uh, uh, exhilaration in the church when we sing something like that. I think people should have their full liberty and their freedom uh, just to worship him. And we should just, and if we don't like people dancing or running or, or whatever, and we're saying, I'm not, you just close your eyes. You're supposed to be looking at Jesus anyway, right? So uh, just let him be, let him be. I, uh, I read about that. You read about it today. If you're reading Luke uh, with us as a church in Luke chapter seven, uh, reading there that, uh, you know, that there's, uh, there's just this concept in the passage of scripture that, that those who've been forgiven much, come on somebody, they love much. You know, I, I, I've, I've experienced this sometimes in a, in a different zone. I, I have, Gretchen and I have married, uh, uh, married off uh, five daughters. Is that right? Five daughters. <laughs> and and th those five, you know, now, and, uh, now I see them holding hands and cuddling up and, and they'll come over to the house and their hands on the guy's thigh and are just holding on. And nothing's going on, but something's going on. You know, what I'm talking about? you know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, hey, well, they, 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 they love him in a way they never loved me. There's more. Much means more. They've done something. He said the one who loves little doesn't love as much simply because he doesn't realize how much they've been forgiven of. Just let them go. 
Just let them love however they want to love him. Amen. John chapter 13, picking up in this story, Simon Peter said to him, so, so John is, is writing the book and this whole story, we're going to get into a few more chapters here of, of John, the story. And this, it, there's a lot about John and Peter. To the, to the best of my knowledge, if I were to read into something, I think John and Peter were best friends. Well, that's why they're so different from each other. You know, usually opposites attract. And let me just say this, opposites are supposed to attract. slow cookers in here today all right but the reality is is it and that's the way god made it it says god said that's good i like that that's what i'm gonna that's what god said i'm gonna work with that's what god said what i'm gonna work with And, and so john is 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 really involved in peter's life and he writes a lot about peter and he writes about himself but he'll mention peter and then he'll kind of try to hide himself he said the one jesus loved you know, just he's just so lovesick in the midst of, of where he was, but he's writing a lot about Peter here and, and, and because they're friends. They showed up at the tomb together. I mean, they, they're, they're in front of the gate, beautiful, in, the, in Acts chapter 3. I mean, these guys are like, they went to all the private places with Jesus together. I mean, they had an intimate personal relationship with each other. So he's got a pretty good perspective on Peter here, and, and, and this is how he sees some things. So John says in John chapter 13, verse 36, says, Simon Peter said to him, he's recording what Peter said. He said, Lord, where are you going? Hey, where, where are you going? Have you ever just been that person in a crowd and somebody you really like and somebody who's, who's, who's got the right uh, this, that, and the other thing, and they get up there, where are you going? This happens in my house all the time. There are some who have their license and some who don't yet. Where, where are you going? Where are you going? Matter of fact, the other day, a, a car backed out of my driveway so fast, it took some of the asphalt with it. And I called them and said, where are you going? Where are you going? And, and they're just getting away from some of the ones who don't have a license. Sometimes the older ones just want to be the older ones, you know? Where are you going? I, I think it's just kind of like this, this buddy thing. But sometimes when you're buddies, you don't know everything. Sometimes your buddies, you, you, don't, you don't see it in the way that you need to see it. And we don't have a buddy Jesus. He is a friend. He said, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Oh, my goodness. When that happens at home, you can't go with me. Tizzy fits can break out. Right? I mean, you see things start to happen. I'm like, uh, so, so he said, where are you going? He said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. I don't think. Peter heard the now. Sometimes we don't hear because it's not what we want to hear. We only want to hear what we want to hear. And that can happen in scripture. I've heard so many people, especially in the conference last week, I never saw that in the word. We're reading it, but we're, we're, not, we're not reading it at times. He said, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot go now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Well, that's a loop. You're going, I can't go there now, but I'll follow you afterwards. How will I know where you are? He didn't understand what he was saying, okay? So one thing he was saying to Peter that I picked up, you're not ready, Peter. You're not ready. It's not time yet. There's nothing wrong with realizing, especially if Jesus is trying to get you to realize you're not ready. 
There's another time Jesus said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot yet bear those things. That's not yet. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? (laughs) Makes me think of home sometimes too. Mom, why can't I go? You're not old enough. It's not time. So he said, Lord, why can I not go now? I think there's a whine in the midst of this. I don't think he's really trying to learn as much as he just wanting to go. Peter was that way. He's just always wanting to go somewhere, wanting to do something. He said, I will lay down my life for your sake. How many times have we said just that? I think sometimes we need to be a little more cautious and more patient, a little more considerate. I don't think everything's just a, a lunge with passion and zeal and lack of knowledge. But here he is once again, I'll lay down my life for you. I think if I were Jesus at the time, I would have said, well, then lay down. Just lay down, Peter, because I told you you can't go right now. But see, he's not laying down his life. Because his life wants to go now with Jesus. But Jesus said, you can't go now. Jesus said, not now. He said, he even emphasized later. But Peter's like, I don't want it later. I want it now. And sometimes we have a tendency to be anxious. And then later Peter figures out and all these guys get the concept. It says, be anxious for nothing. But prayer, right? Make a request known to God. Submit your life to God. And so there's this relational thing. There's this, there's this maturation that's going on in his life. How many of y'all are so happy that you're now at an age that, that patience is, is, is kind of a virtue in your life? It's, you're not as anxious as you used to be. I said something to Rodney yesterday. I said, you know, I just don't know why. I just, I just don't know why everybody doesn't do things the way I would do it. And I said, it's so exciting to be at 59 years old because I always wanted to, before I turned 60, I always wanted to be able to get to that place that I'm okay with that. You know, took me a little while, but I'm, I'm getting good with it. But here's Peter. He's not okay with it. And, he, and he's making this bold statement, this vow. I mean, it's like, it's like a, a really good statement, but it's just not the right time. How many times have we said just that? I laid out my life for you. Jesus answered him. He said, will you lay down your life for my sake? So in other words, Jesus is conveying to him, son, you really don't know. Friend, you really don't know. Peter, for Pete's sake, chill out. You don't know what you're saying. It's a little bit deeper than just saying it. There's a lot more that comes to it. You haven't seen that part of my life yet, so there's no way you're ready for that. But so often we think we're ready to come out of the chutes for everything and anything and just jump in there. But then it might get a little bit more challenging, a little more difficult. And then when it comes time to really lay down your life and not just say it, you might not be prepared and ready or mature enough to do it. A little caution, a yield light. He said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Moses sir, last say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now you need to understand this. This is a good little bit before. There's some time frame in between when all this takes place. There's some chapters recorded of some weeks that took place before he got to this moment in his life. He said, later you'll follow me. So 
I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, from his perspective, will you really lay down your life for my sake? Cool thing we have going for us is that we know that Jesus really did lay down his life for our sake. And there's no greater love than that. There, listen to me, friends. There, there's a song that was penned, and I only know a few words of it. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I got news for you this morning. You came to the right place to look for love. All other love, as good as it is, as fun as it is, as pleasurable as it is, is not anywhere comparative to the love of Jesus. There, listen, the Bible says there is no greater love. Will you lay down your life for my sake? And I think that's a good question to be posed, posed now, even though Jesus is somewhat questioning, he's still asking a question to Peter. He's, he's conveying that you're not ready. He said, but will you? So you need to now start thinking. I need to now start thinking. We need to now start thinking, will we lay down our life when it's time to lay down our life? Because where you are right now is good, but where you're going to go is going to be greater. We were standing in my office the other day, and, and I was somewhat humbled and, and uh, well, ter terribly humbled and just kind of blown away that some of the most influential ministers that are living were, were in my office, in my life, who have had aspects of, of ministry in my life. And, and so it's just filled with a, a group of ministers in there. And, and one spoke out, kind of the oldest of us all, and he said, he said, if it happens again, we will not shut down. And there was a resounding echo in there. If they, once again, they come and say, wear your mask and you can't meet, we will not shut down. We will not shut down. But will we not shut down? That's the second question, second layer. It's one of those things that God speaks to you and you hear it, but have you heard it? It's got to be deeper. And, and that's just for us to start to developing what it takes to have the resolve to lay down our life, uh, to choose not to deny Christ. To choose to not to deny Christ will prepare you to not to betray Christ because there will be people who are believers who will turn around and betray Christ, not only deny Christ. The Bible says there will be a great falling away. People will kill people thinking they're doing God service. Those kind of days are upon us, are upon us. There are some people to this day, because of 2020, and perhaps partly and because the church did close down, that aren't even in church anymore. Not even in church. The scripture says, do not forsake the assembling together as a manner of some are. So what that means, it didn't mean that some are not assembling. He said, do not forsake like some have. He said, don't be like those who forsake the assembly. So he said, will you really lay down your life? But there's also a point in here that, that Jesus starts to see into uh, Peter's future and he predicts his denial. 
So there's obviously something that Jesus sees in Peter that Peter doesn't see in himself. That's why it's important to have seers in there. But Jesus can't just stop it because he knows it. He has to allow Peter to to walk it out and, and and to live it out. We want Jesus to come and just take this from us and take that from us. And, and then people start to blame things on Jesus because he didn't do this and didn't do that. You know, so we weren't hearing him. And we're being anxious. So let's, let's slow down. Let's be patient. And let it have its perfect work in our lives. That we wouldn't be lacking. And we'd be complete and fulfilled. Matter of fact, I think that Jesus, in one way, was wanted to say to Peter that, you know, there's coming a time that the, the, the crow won't come out of the rooster until after you've denied me three times. I think he was trying to say, Peter, don't be so cocky. That was for the country boy. John 18 the story goes on. There's, there's, a, there's a lapse of time. A lot of things have happened in between this. And it says in verse 15, and, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Uh, they're taking Jesus in the praetorium. They're taking Jesus to, to scourge him. They're taking Jesus to, to beat him. They're taking Jesus to judge him. They're taking Jesus to, to do all the abusive things prior to the crucifixion they're getting ready to do. And, and, and Peter's still there. He's still there. He's following Jesus. Notice following. Notice following. So he's living it out. And, and I see a lot of people do this and they stay right in there and they stay right in there, but they haven't had that moment that Jesus said, you're going to break. You're not ready. And, and he gets there. And, and sometimes we're doing some of our following in Jesus in our own strength, in our own willpower, in our own determination. And sometimes just maybe to prove to others. Maybe to prove to all those people who, who Peter felt like maybe Jesus embarrassed him. Peter asked the question. Is there the possibility that Peter asked the question to look spiritual? Uh, uh, to, to make sure that nobody in there thought that he was on sifting sand or that, that Satan could ever sift him. And so here he is following and another disciple, and that kind of plays into we knew who it was because there's only two that are there. So here's the story, friends. There's already, there's, there's already uh, nine others that have left him. They didn't get that far. You'd be amazed how far you can go in your willpower, just out of your passion. I'm not taking that from somebody, but you can't finish just in your own strength. But the other nine... You're saying, well, that's 11. Well, Judas is already pretty much already out of the picture. The betrayal has already taken place. So there's only two there, and one wrote the story, and he wrote it about somebody and about some other people in his life. So the other one's John. The other one's John. It's amazing where love and intimacy, tenderness and quietness, meekness and gentleness, humility will take you. So it says that Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. You see, I think John, when he wrote the book of John, was writing outside of it. He was writing in the spirit. He wasn't writing out of his, out of his natural being there. Now, the disciple was known to the high priest, went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. He got to this threshold. 
He got to this door and, and he stayed out there. Just something just stopped him. It was there that Jesus was going in where death would start to proceed. Death would start to be performed on him. Then the other disciple who was known by the high priest went out and spoke to her and excuse, and then went out and to know the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? She knew John was. She fully knew it. Don't be afraid of people who cannot kill your soul. And so this little girl, of all people, little girl, who has been sent by John, who has given him access entry, kind of like an all-access pass, right? She's coming up to him, and fear strikes him. Fear strikes him. Listen, friends, there's no weapons around him right now. There's no cross being carved out with his name on it. And this little girl said, are, are not you one, also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And listen, he, he's, this, this is the thing that's amazing to me. He's two-thirds of the way there. And he adds the word not. All the others say is, I am. I am. Not. Not. I think about salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. All you need to be saved is to say yes, accept it. Everything, two-thirds of it, is provided for you. Salvation, it's not by your works. Is already. I was in a bunk bed. I didn't even have to walk down an aisle at a church. Not that I don't believe in walking down aisles at church again. I was in a bunk bed and accepted that grace by faith and got saved, got saved. Everything's provided. He said, I am not. Verse 18. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there for it was cold, chilly, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Here he is walking with the all-consuming fire of God. The most passionate, dedicated, devoted person. Now he's having to warm himself. Now he's having to warm himself. Comfort himself. If you move down to verse 25, so we have one. Everybody put one finger up. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, he said to them, so he stood there for a while. Therefore, they said to him, you are not one also of his disciples, are you? It's almost as if uh, they could have said, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one. And because they recognized something, but it took them a while to, to go, are you, are you one? It was questionable. Why? Because he was questionable. Listen to me, saints. When you're living around non-Christian people or Christian people and you get waffling, uncertain, doubting, if you get, you're not, you don't, you, you talk Christian at sometimes, but you don't at sometimes, they're going to wonder if you are because they've already wondered if you weren't. 
But we need to set off such an example that Paul says that you may be able to prove. You may be able to prove what is a perfect and acceptable will of God. There ought to be proof in our life. Proof in our life. So they stood by him and said, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Don't have to belabor a point there. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Don't mess with Bubba's cousin. Did I not see you in the garden with him? It was you, wasn't it? Then Peter denied again. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Now, if God can keep a rooster silent, till the right time, and you and I can't tame our tongue, but he can train our tongue, now we go down to John chapter 21, verse 1. Three times exactly what Jesus said happened. Wasn't a bullfrog, wasn't a cow mooing. It's exactly what Jesus said. Somebody say amen. amen. If it's in this book and Jesus said it, it will happen the way he said it. After these things, everybody say things. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. Now, you need to understand the time frame here. Jesus has already been crucified, died on a cross, was put into a tomb. He'd already made a visit to Sheol, Hades, pit of the earth, preached to those who are in prison. He's already been raised up. We sang about it. The stone was rolled away. He came out. Now there's a 40-day period. And in this 40-day period, Jesus is like, these guys have got to get it. And, and, and one of the reasons that he needed to come back in that 40-day period, there would be no proof otherwise. So this 40-day period is a manifestation of the living God. And he was so personal with them. But during that time, they quite hardly knew him. They didn't recognize him. And we're going to see that he had, he had already been with them a few times during this period of time, has already revealed himself supernaturally, but we're going to find out they still doubted. Kind of sounds common to our own personal life. How many miracles has he done in your life that you know, unless, no exception, impossible, that it was not God, and yet when you face your next trial and, and challenge and whatever, you start to question whether he can or whether he is. He loved you in the lowest, dirtiest, hardest, painful time of your life, and he spoke to you, and you came out of that as if you rose up out of the grave, and you sang, hell lost another one. And then right around the corner, there you are again. I just don't. So after these things, Jesus showed himself. He's manifested himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. This is how he did it this way. He can show himself in numerous ways, but this is how he showed himself. Simon Peter, you guys remember him? 
Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in the Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He has a lot of clout in his voice. Now, I want you to see the magnitude of people that he's gathered around, and I don't have time to break them all down, but, uh, but these are some strong believers. These are some people who have cast out some devils. They've, they've healed some sick people. They've fed 5,000, 4,000. They've seen them walk on water. I mean, they're, they're there. They're the guys. One of them, it says there is no guile in them whatsoever. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. So he's not just leading a bunch of weak, feeble, half-hearted, He's leading true followers, people who have been with Jesus, and they start to follow him, start to walk with him. Now, why is this so significant? If you remember where God, where Jesus reached some of these people, it was while they were fishing. And he simply said to him, he said, he said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He says, so come follow me. They're going right back to where they were Three and a half years, 40 days, maybe 35 up to this time, days of supernatural. They've had some encounters with him, and they're going back to where they were. Going back to what he had called them out of. The other disciples together, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. Be careful, people will follow you. And if they'll follow you when you're doubting or uncertain or unbelieving, they will follow you when you're backsliding. They'll follow you if you go back to the bars. They'll follow you if you go back to drugs or, or gateway drugs. They will follow you if you do this or do that. They will. People will follow you. You have influence in people's lives. And they may even have their own strengths. They don't have to be weaklings to follow you, especially when God has appointed you as a leader appointed you as a leader. So he said, I'm going fish. He said, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. Uh, notice here, I don't know why the word immediately is in there other than the reason it's in there. They didn't hesitate. They didn't hesitate. I'm going now. Remember Peter? No, I'm, why can't I go now? I'm, Peter, I'll, I'll just do what I want. Jesus said in John chapter seven, he said, the flesh is always ready. Flesh is always ready. Don't trust. I got to do this now. Don't trust it. It's most likely the flesh. He said, they said to Jesus, said, well, if you are his brothers, if you are who you say you are, then you ought to go down there to that feast and tell him who you are. Go, brother, brother. Go, big brother. I know he's the big brother. Remember, Mary's a virgin. Sometimes we don't think through things and we start to get a little confused. And so Jesus said, my time's not ready. He said, your time's always ready. Then a couple of days later, he goes down there and he cries out in front of the feast. So here they are, they're going fishing, immediately got in the boat, no hesitation. Listen, isn't it amazing that we don't hesitate to the flesh, but when it comes to God, we hesitate? When it is a God, that, well, I need another confirmation. That's one not saying, I don't really trust your voice. 
I don't really know your voice well enough. I'm all for confirmations. He'll bring them. You don't have to look for them. But when you're looking for them and you're making decision off of not having enough confirmations, you're more reliant upon human than you are spiritual. We want, listen, why do you say that, Pastor? Why do you say that, preacher? Because I want you to have a desire, an acute desire inside of you to have confidence in his voice. Confidence in his voice. You might not have times in your life that you may be somewhere all alone and there's nobody around and you can't reach somebody by phone because uh, the time's too late or the time changes are different. You're going to have to know for yourself because there may not be flesh there to accompany you to get that done. Somebody just shake this and man, he sure does love us. So he went off. They got in the boat immediately. And that night, it emphasizes, that night, they caught nothing. Uh, it's, it's interesting. They didn't just go back to where he caught them from. Now they're back in a situation they'd been in before. When he was calling his disciples in Luke chapter 5, they went out fishing and they'd been toiling and working on their nets. And Jesus said, hey, launch the boat out. He's with them now. He says, launch the boat out. They go out. And he goes, go out a little bit further. He says, throw your net over on the side over there. So if you guys caught anything, oh, we haven't caught anything all night. They're professionals. They knew what was going on. And sometimes we're so professional. Jesus, Jesus doesn't understand our business. Let that one sink in. Sometimes we're so professional, Jesus doesn't understand uh, what time or what way we should do things. What we should buy or not buy, what we should do. We need to get Jesus into every aspect of your life. Amen? And so they, they cast over the, the net over there, and, and they said no, and they cast over the net back in Luke chapter 5, and, and pff, humongous catch of fish. So big it took other boats to help them get the fish in. But when Jesus told them to do it, it was Peter that spoke up. And Jesus said, nevertheless, at your word, I will do it. Nevertheless, at your word, I will do it. Let's say that one more time. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. So Peter's saying, everything inside of me says it ain't going to work. Your daddy's a carpenter. My daddy's a fisherman. I was in the boat. You were on the beach. I'm the fisherman. You're a teacher. You're a preacher. And, and, you know, preacher, you can preach all you want, but you've never been in my business world. That's kind of the same mindset. But then he comes to this place, and he submits his life to Jesus. This is the early stuff. This is where he was. This is where he was. He submits his life. He says, nevertheless, boy, those words sound familiar, don't they? Jesus used those words in the latter part of his ministry. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Mary taught people at the, at the first miracle of Jesus in the, in the book of uh, in Canaan at the wedding there and listening in the book of John. And, and she said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Just do it. How important to get done what we need to get done for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, what it might be for you and I to know the word of the Lord. Not just to know a preacher who preaches the word, not just to have a church that sings about the word, but literally to know the word of God for yourself. You want to live a fulfilled life. 
So here they are again. They're in that boat, and they're having the same scenario they had then. They weren't catching anything because they weren't living according to his word. But when the morning had now come, we're back in John. But when the morning had now come, they're fishing all night again. They were night fishermen. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus, So it's, it's the same scenario. We're in the boat. He's on the beach. You know, what's going on here? We're, what's getting ready? Jesus is meeting them back. They've gone all the way back. Friends, three and a half years, they've gone all the way back. But when morning comes, Jesus stood on the shore. Whenever he stands, he's going to interrupt something. Amen? He's going to do something. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children. He didn't say Peter. He didn't say John. He didn't say anything like that. He said, children. Why? Because they're acting just like children. Acting just like children. But they still are his children. He says, children, have you any food? Now, this is kind of interesting because, remember, he was asking Peter questions before, and, and Peter's answering back and said, do you really? And here he is again. Jesus has food. We're going to find out in just a few minutes. Jesus has a little charcoal grill up there, and he is, he is frying some fish. He's having a fish fry, and there's nobody there but him. And he's got enough for others. He always does. He said, do you guys have anything? Kind of like, I do. You can almost see the smile on his face. He's like, okay, here we go. I'll get you out of this. This is why he came back, guys. Listen to me. This is why he still speaks today. This is why he still heals today. Uh, this is why he still baptizes today. This is why he still allows uh, 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 us in his presence today. Because we fluctuate. We're in and out. Now, I know some of us, not me. You know, don't be so cocky. Don't, don't elevate yourself. Don't exalt yourself too high. Don't think too highly of yourself. That's what the scripture says. And so he says, you guys have anything to eat? And they said, nope, we don't. Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. Now, I, I wonder, you know, Jesus was pretty good at fishing. Every time he went fishing or as a part of their fishing, I mean, it was just like huge, right? I mean, he would have been a social sensation, right? I just like followed Jesus fishing. But I don't know if they have it here. I see it sometimes over here when I go back home over North Saudi over there and driving out and people doing, I can't remember what they call it right now, but they put the light over the water and the, and the fish, what do they call that? Help me out, somebody. And the fish start coming to the light. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> Jesus is the light of the world, right? And probably just one, one touch of the water, fish will, you know, going over, and he's go go to the right. Listen, he silenced a rooster. He can make a movement of fish. You got to remember, he's God, okay? He's able. If his voice can make a calf be born, what are we worried about? He said, cast them down on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in. Now, now, listen, all this conversation going on, the voice, the voice does not change. His appearance changes, 
but his voice doesn't change. Still the same voice, but they're not getting it. They're, they're reliving a scenario. Have you ever been, and all of a sudden you're like, huh, I've been here before. How, how, how oblivious we can become to the one who's delivered us and set us free. The one who's called us and led us away. So they cast, and now they were not able. Jesus took them from unable to not able. Now you got to get that. They were unable. They could not catch anything on their own. It's unable. They, they, it wasn't even going to be possible. They went in the water. God said, get all the fish out of there. Just, just move them. Move them. Some of the empty spots you're hitting in life is God's blessing in your life. Because once you would have caught that fish on your own, you would have been on the hook yourself. No, hear me. You're in that situation, and, and this isn't working, and that's not working. And, uh, Peter used to be so good at this. I know, just, just wait. Just wait, would you? you know, and Peter's casting this in, and he's doing this, and, and he's doing it all wrong. It's not happening. God said, I'm not going to let you catch fish. Jesus wouldn't let him go with them until it was time. See, we need to understand we have a God that doesn't let, not a God who always lets. Listen to me, moms and dads. There is nothing wrong with telling your children, not now. It's too late. It costs too much. You're not ready for it. Nothing wrong with that. Boy, it's getting quiet in here right now. Some of y'all are digesting that. It's truth. You see it. Cast it down. And they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. He took them from unable to not able, not able to bring it in. From nothing to more than enough. From where they were to where he is. Nevertheless, at your word. Three years earlier, Peter was saying, whatever you say, I'll do. Sometimes Jesus will give you opportunities you don't even know. You think you're doing it, but he's doing it to you. He's bringing you back to him. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, I, I just love the incognito of John. I just love it. He didn't go, <clears throat> and I, I revealed to Peter that, uh, you know, that's Jesus over there, dude. You know, it's just like, that's the man, you know. Yeah, I, I saw him before anybody else did. And then, you know, it's like they jumped in the water. And he, I don't know. It just seems like we want to be the one. I know I've been that guy. We just want to be the one. He's the one. And last I checked, he's the one and only. Amen? Somebody ought to praise him for that. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, all you really know, all you really need to know is that Jesus loves you. Listen, John's in this moment thinking, we're busted. John's in this moment going, oh, why did we follow Peter? Oh, no. But John knows when Jesus comes, he comes in love. Comes in love. We're going to be the only generation that when he comes, he will come in love and in wrath. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Pete, it's him. It's, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, uh, remember, John's got some revelation stuff going on. 
He said, Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, although he had heard the Lord, he didn't know it was the Lord until he was told it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Preached the message some years ago here, all in. All in. Are you all in? But the other disciples came in the little boat. They must have looked like something. I almost wonder if this were, uh, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. This life ain't no dream. <laughs> this is like real, right? I mean, these guys, are, they're, they're real. They're probably happy Peter jumped out. If I give them a little elbow room, you know. All these men are in this one. It, it just emphasizes. Why? Because heaven wants you to, to giggle right now. Because heaven's up here going, you should have seen those guys. It's, it's, it's the funniest thing. They're all in this little boat, you know. I was preaching in Tempe, Arizona years ago. And uh, we're having revival. God was moving. And they didn't put us in a hotel. They put us in a house. This is before Vrubo, whatever they call that. They put us in this house. And it was a rehab house for people who are coming out of drugs and alcohol. And they thought I would enjoy staying there because that's where I'd been at one time in my life. I thought, okay. So in this house are two people staying there, two men in recovery. One is an actual 100% sumo. And I'm talking about sumo. He's big. And the other one's just a good old country boy that had eaten a lot of pork. And he was as big as sumo. And so they had a pool, and that was the nicest thing because it was blistering hot out there and so dry. You'd dive in the pool off the diving board, swim to the other end. By the time you walked back to the diving board, you'd be dry. And then Sumo came out. And he was the smoothest killer whale I'd ever seen in my life. He dove into that pool and like, like there wasn't even a splash. I think the water didn't have anywhere to go. That could have been part of it. I'm not sure. But he dove in and just, it was like a, like a sea cow just going through the water over there. You know, it's just huge. And, and I was just, I was like, this is awesome. This is so good. Sometimes what you fall in love with, God will give you more of. So the next day, it's time to go to the airport. And all they have is a Datsun pickup truck. With a stick shift. And sumo drives. Country boy hadn't gotten his license back yet. I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but so we got suitcase hardly in the back of the truck, and and Sumo must have thought someone of the fuzz was that that Sumo. No, I mean Country boy must have thought that Sumo was Peter, because Sumo was taking us to the airport, and we're wondering how are we going to get there. So I sat in the middle in the gear shift. My friend sat over there with his pencil. I mean Sumo, it's, he's over council, the center council. He's over it. Shoulders huge. We're just like going there. Well, country boy said, I'm going too. I said, No, no, you, no, he can't go. He got in the back truck, sat up there. You've seen him all the time. Every car behind is probably going, Do you see what I see right now? That's probably what these guys look like. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Yeah. 
I got a funny feeling if God might not have used the fish to try to help them get as a motor to get to the shore. And then as soon as they had come into the land, they saw a fire of coals there. Now, some people may say, why did Peter plunge in? Well, he knew, look, he's already sinking. <laughs> there is no need to try to walk on water this time. He was not, listen to me, he was not in the same, listen, he was not in the same place now as he was then. He wasn't. And I think this is where God might be saying to us that some of us aren't in the same place that we were. As soon as they, verse 9, as soon as they had come to land, as soon as they had come, it didn't say they came soon. It took them a while to get there. Some people will get places quicker than others. As soon as they come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. Remember the last place, the last place Peter and Jesus were close before the separation started, there was a fire. Jesus didn't come and said, what are you doing? What were you doing by that fire? You shouldn't have been in that fire. Man, I'm here now. I'm not in glory because of people like you, Peter. No, no, no. It's like, I'll get him back. I'll comfort him this time. He probably knew. He probably knew one of two things. That either Peter was going to jump in the water and swim. I think he knew that. Or perhaps everybody else is going to throw Peter out. And he's going to be wet one way or the other. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't get that. Peter got him into this thing. So he has a fire going of coals and there, and, and, and it just seems to be like, why do fire of coals show up? The other one was just a campfire with wood, but why is it a fire of coals? Come on, somebody. Why was it a fire of coals? Because Isaiah, when he saw the, Isaiah, when he saw the presence of the Lord, where the, you know, he's, he's, in his, he's in his presence mode now. He's already resurrected. He's in the glory, friends. He's a representation of heaven. Heaven has come down. Listen, thy kingdom come. Jesus said, you all better pray that because there are going to be times that you're not in the kingdom and you're going to need the kingdom to come to where you are to get you out of what you got yourself into. And he started to come in there and he said, I've got to cleanse Peter's lips. I've got to anoint his lips. I've got to feed these guys. I've got to call them back to their calling. I've got to get them back to the purpose. He may not be talking to you, but he's talking to the church. I've got to get the church clean again. I've got to get the church by the fire again. I've got to feed the church. I've got to get the church where they're catching fish again. Not one here and one there, but 153 over there and 153 over there and 3,000 in a few weeks. Listen to me. Could we possibly be 3,000 souls away from a couple weeks of what Jesus wants to do in our life? There's coals because he's going to cleanse the prophetic lips of Peter. Why 153? You know this. I am God. That's what it is in Hebrew. So Peter went up and dragged the net to land. Starts taking his apostolic weight and load and carrying his part of the load full of large fish. 153. It's going to be heavy, guys. Listen to me. Wouldn't that be something? I ask it right now in the name of Jesus. Trail of treats. 
153 converts. 153 converts. I'm not worried about my fashioned little Christianity. I'm not worried about whether this feels right, looks like, or has it right. I want souls. Last I checked, fish still stink. Still stink. Are you with me? Dragged it up there. Jesus said to them, come eat some breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? But here's an interesting thing. They didn't dare ask him, but they're still thinking it. They're still thinking it. I could stand up here all day long and say, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, but you might still question. They knew what was going around was the Lord, but they still couldn't recognize him, but they dared not ask him, knowing that it was the Lord. They knew about it, but they still questioned within. That's natural. Say that's natural. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's natural. Then Jesus, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So he's going right back saying, okay, guys, here we are. Here we are. Listen, you got to get this. He's like, boys, I'm here. I'm preparing the meal. I don't just have the fish. You've got some out. That's a prophetic sign. I am God. You'll catch fish like I called you to catch fish. You're going you're gonna to be used in the harvest there. He said, but listen, here, here's the fish and here's the bread. And now let's go feed the 3,000 you're going to save in about two weeks. Because they fed the 5,000. Because they fed the 4,000. And Jesus said, give me the loaves, give me the fish. And he gave it to the disciples. You go feed them. You go feed them. It's all prophetically setting up. I don't know about you. You may not be here. I don't know. I don't know. We'll call you if you leave, but I don't know. I know where I'm going to be. He said, son, he said, he said, they may have taken the wind out of your sails, but they cannot take the breath out of your God. He said, and I will blow again. He said that at a harvest fest on an October 31, some years ago. I'm excited what's coming up. I'm believing because I'm going to be here. They might take your seat. They might take your seat, but I'm going to be here. He said, knowing that it was the Lord, they took the bread and the fish and gave it to him. Listen to this. This is what gets me. 14 gets me. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Tell me to stop before I hit it. Does that not knock you back? No, no, you need to understand something. They have had supernatural encounters with the resurrected Jesus, and they still went back to what they were doing. And people will come to church. It's not that big of a thing, but people will come to church and walk right out of this building, go right back to whatever they've been doing and all the worldliness and all the filthiness and all the wickedness after they said, I give you my life. I'm, I'm, I'm on assignment from the day I was in my mother's womb to here to tell you, once saved, always saved, will not save you. It will not save you. Theology and terminology doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And if Jesus knows you've drifted away and he comes out of heaven to come get you, before you go any further, if, if the revealing of Jesus, it didn't get them the first couple times either. But he's trying to get them back to their calling. See, we have, this, we have this promise that we're going to be saved, 
but he has this purpose that we're called. Are you living the called life or just the saved life? He wants to get you back to who and what he created you to be. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, I know who you are, boy. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I don't have time to break all this down, but, but listen to me. All of these? Simon, do you love me more than fish? Simon, do you love me more than fishing? Simon, do you love me more than cast fishing and pole fishing and boat riding and all these? Not, not necessarily, do you love me more than they love me? He didn't say that. Do you love me more than you love them? Do you love me more than the campfire? Do you love me more than s'mores? Do you love me more than, I, I don't know what it is. He's asking him a question. He said, do you love me more than these? I'm asking you the question. Again, on assignment from heaven, God is asking, do you love me more than all that stuff you have around you? All that stuff. I heard of two people this week that didn't even really correlate. I did not get this message till this morning. Uh, he'd been speaking to me out of John 21, but this morning he laid on me. Watch this. Two people, well-known people, in the last couple weeks have had encounters with God and they went into their closet and took all of their, all of their clothing, all their shoes and all the things because the Lord said, you love that more than you love me. I'm asking you to be open to the voice of the Lord. Could there possibly be something? One of the greatest revivals that I, it was only a five-day revival, but it was one of the most powerful ones. I was preaching and a guy got up in the middle of my preaching, left the service, came back later with trash bags, literally glad, hefty trash bags, trash bags full of Star Trek memorabilia. And he said, while he's sitting in that service, the Spirit of God convicted him. And he said, what do you show people when they come in your house? What's the first thing? He said, oh, Jesus, I love you. He said, no, you show them the Star Trek collection. He realized he loved it more. I'm not meddling in your business. So he had eaten breakfast. He said, do you love me? This is what he said. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, I've come to find when people say, you know, when they're talking a lot, they're not real confident in what they're saying. I, I don't know that, that Peter is confident that he knows whether he loves Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Feed the little ones. Contribute. He said to him again a second, and I says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said, okay, tend to my sheep. In other words, to tend means to lead, to, to guide. He's calling them back into feeding, contributing. He's calling them back into leading and guiding. In just a few weeks, he's getting ready to lead the first church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him the third time, yeah. When you're grieved, it's coming from the depths of who you are. Yeah. 
said, do you love me? He said, I'm Lord. You know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. In other words, he's saying, you know that I love you, but you know the areas that I doubt. You know the areas that I I need to reprioritize in my life. You, you know all the things going on in my life. You, you know every thought that I had. You, you know every disappointment I had with you. And you know every, you, oh, he's going, he's going through three and a half years. He's going into four years of stuff inside of him. He's going down and he's going, oh, oh, you know everything, don't you? I didn't know you knew that. I, didn't, I tried to hide that from you. I didn't want to hurt you. I didn't want to look foolish. I didn't, oh, oh. You know it, don't you? Went to the depths of him. Got to his spirit, not just to his body and his soul. He said, you know I love you. You may have things going on in your life. He wants you to know that he knows that. You can still love him. But he wants you to know he loves you so deep. He'll heal the things, set the things free in your life. Because things can get in the way. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you're younger, you girded yourself, you walked where you wanted to and wished you can stand to your feet. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God. Did you hear that? This he spoke signifying what death. Well, it doesn't sound like death if somebody's putting clothes on you. Somebody's dressing and leading you around. Now you got to get this. Oh, Lord, I'll lay my life down for you. Some years earlier, he said, will you lay your life down for me? Now he's saying, you're ready to lay your life down for me. You will lay your life down for me. You won't do it in your own strength. You won't do it in your own courage. You won't do it in your own abilities. You won't do it in your own knowledge. You won't do it in all that stuff. You'll, 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 you'll let me lead you. You'll let me clothe you. Uh, you'll let me be your covering. You'll let me be your righteousness. He said, you're ready, Peter. You're ready. Feed my sheep. And the last thing he said to Peter, when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. He says, feed my sheep, but follow me. Don't get so caught up in the ministry. Don't get so caught up in the, in the, the lambs and, and get caught up in tending to them and get caught up in, in feeding the sheep and, and getting everything. You keep following me. You keep following. Following means submission. It means submission. Let's do it my way. Here's the nevertheless. I brought you to it, Peter. Why did Jesus ask him the same question three times? He was reinstating him from the three denials. He was conquering every one of those denials. One was human fear. One was, one was in the soul. One was in the spirit. It was just, he was just, he's going through all this stuff, and Jesus is redeeming the whole man. He's pulling him out of that. He's delivering him. Hell lost another one. Satan thought he had him, but Jesus said, you're mine, and he pulled him in close to where he was. I want to say to you this morning, he knows all things. I ask you this question, have you considered and contemplated enough, will you lay your life down for him? Will you lay your life down for him? Are there things in your life that are hindering you from following him? 
Do you love him? Will you serve him? Will you tend to them? And will you follow him? That's the question. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.